It's the state of the Pistons for 2024. We are here at the All-Star break. Andy and I are calling for some jobs, for some clean sweeps. There is a lot wrong with this team. Eight wins. I don't know that anybody thought we wouldn't crack double-digit wins by the All-Star break. The state of the Pistons right now is in dire straits. Let's get started. Welcome back, everybody. It's the state of the Pistons here in 2024. We always take the state of the Pistons at the trade deadline, after the trade deadline, at the All-Star break. So I'm, of course, joined by Data Driven Piston Fan, a.k.a. Andy. Let everybody know where they can find you online before we get started with our state of the Pistons in 2024. You can find me on Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. And uh, yeah, we've had some fun games lately lots to talk about things on the court off the court should be a fun show let's start off with the off the court stuff of course isaiah stewart was arrested in phoenix for apparently assaulting drew eubanks in the parking lot it was reported in the tunnel at first but then after a while reports have come out saying it's in the parking lot i mean i'm just going to come out and say it i've seen this story be revised a lot in the last 24 hours is in the tunnel is in the parking lot they were bumping chest to chest isaiah sewer sucker punched him drew eubanks said it didn't like feel like anything he was hit in the mouth he was hit in the lip a lot of people say drew eubanks face looked unscathed during the the game you couldn't tell anything but somehow the phoenix suns released a statement saying like you know we don't stand for this behavior and the nba basically released another statement saying that same thing well monty williams in his post-game press conference last night did have some choice words for that this is courtesy of this detroit sports nation our good friend eric vincent over there who does great work for detroit sports nation which is his and he's the writer for clutch points now he's our pistons writer if you haven't followed him already go follow eric vincent on twitter follow his work at detroit sports nation and for clutch points he said, Williams then voiced his belief that Phoenix's characterization of Stewart's actions as, quote, unprovoked, end quote, was an irresponsible reaction. This is Monty Williams's quote here. Monty Williams said, the NBA will do an investigation. I've talked to Stewart. He shared with me what happened. Our people have talked to him and they have information. But for me to come here and make a statement, that would be a bit irresponsible. I know the Suns put out a statement and said it was unprovoked. I think that is irresponsible Irresponsible for them to do that when you really don't know because two sides are giving their story. I think until you find out everything, you can't make those statements. I heard about that and I just thought that did not need to happen. I agree 100% with that. This is very much characterized as Stu like just running out of nowhere and punching him. And Aaron Keltras over at Piston Power put out a great article, too, that did talk about Stu being labeled a thug and saying, you know what, this is racially coded language. I know people are going to get mad at me for saying it is what he says in the article, but it really is. It's like anytime there's a young black man like this assaulting white person and you know they're labeled a thug, racial connotations come into it and people pass judgment before anything has happened. And what I've thought from the beginning, hearing this story is, okay, so they were bumping chests. That's the consistent part of the story that's been repeated is like they were bumping chests in the parking lot, yet Isaiah Stewart hit him unprovoked. Those two things do not add up, right? Like if you're bumping chests, that is the universal sign for, yeah, we're about to fight. That is not unprovoked, number one. Number two, the damage. There was no damage. Everybody has continually said that even I can't find the Drew Eubanks quote. So maybe this is something I made up. Um, so pretty much call me on that if, if somebody finds that. But I swear I saw one where Drew Eubanks said like, well, the punch didn't register. 
again, you can't be playing tough guy out here being like, oh, you, oh, you didn't hurt me or whatever. When you're the one that went and snitched and was like, oh, you need to call the cops and bring him in here. You assaulted me. Again, those two things do not add up. And the way this story has been revised in the last 24 hours, go look at when it was first reported. Then like 12 hours later, then about you know four hours later, the story is changing ever so slightly every every couple hours. I really wanted to do this podcast after we got all the full details, but unfortunately we were unable to do it. But to me, everything is just stacked in Stu's favor. And I really agree with Monty Williams. Part of it is like, come on, he heard from Stu what happened and he's going to come out and say, like, you can't release a statement until you hear like what caused all this and what actually happened. We have enough evidence that Stu doesn't just randomly attack people for no reason. He's not Draymond Green stomping out people in the balls on the court, choking people out. When he gets frustrated, he does not do that. He got mad at LeBron because LeBron almost broke his nose with a cheap shot. Like in the legend and the lore and the ridiculousness of you know Stu being like this violent player was born out of that one justifiable action i mean not many people get mad like that but honestly i am somebody that gets mad like that and this whole drew eubanks thing to me again it, none of it seemed unprovoked it did seem like they were you know jaw jacking going back and forth and Stu was just the first one to swing i don't know what was said i would love to know what was said hopefully that will be revealed because to me there are a few things that like if somebody says to me i'm gonna see red and start swinging and then like who knows wake up in jail I know you have a different opinion on this, Andy. So what do you think of this whole situation with Stu? So now first I haven't, I haven't looked into it after just the initial stuff that I saw. So I haven't heard about the story being revised, which anytime you have stories being revised, it brings the whole thing into question. Um, when I saw Drew Eubanks playing last night, and then I read that he had been punched in the face. That's where I was like, okay, wait a minute. If it, and if you look at Stu, he looks like a guy who could punch. And if you're telling me he hit him with a sucker punch um, and there's no damage to his face, then that punch didn't really land or it wasn't really a sucker punch or there was really no reason for the police to be involved. That's what I'm confused at because it's like if you hit somebody... so. In my mind, I pictured Draymond Green hitting Jordan Poole. Like, when you see that video, like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I lost all respect for Draymond. I am not a Draymond Green fan anymore after that. That's like, I'm sorry. That's just not acceptable. Yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with it because I'm a Michigan alum and I know Jordan Poole a little bit more. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I just I just think you, you can't do that. You can't hit someone like that. You just, you can't. And so, and I thought the whole thing happened in the tunnel. Now you're saying it was actually like in the parking garage or whatever. So the whole thing becomes more suspect. But for me, the problem I have is due to the LeBron thing, even though I think LeBron got off way too easy on that whole situation, it gave Stu this entire image nationally for what he is that I don't think is justified. But that's how he is going to be viewed. So all of his actions and things that happen going forward on the court and off the court are viewed in that light. So he can't put himself in that position, in my opinion, as a professional athlete. Now, the fact that Eubanks face showed nothing is what totally makes this whole thing like a mystery to me, because that tells me he didn't get sucker punched in the face. Like I, I even tweeted out, like, did he punch him in the stomach? Like what happened? Because looking at his face, there's if you sucker punch someone in the face as at Stu's size, there's no way you're playing in the game that night unless like you didn't really get hit. Like I, I would they even put him in concussion protocol if you like got punched. Like I I don't get it. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Why were the police even called is my biggest question on this. How many times have we seen this kind of thing happen, even if it was in the tunnel? Maybe it's because it's out in the parking garage. But if this happened on the court, this would not be a story like why the police had to get involved is the biggest mystery to me. 
uh, you know, I'm ghetto. My ghetto ass, like, yeah, I'm from Albuquerque. Like, even those of us that aren't tough like me, like, you have to know how to protect yourself. And if there are things said to you that disrespect you and your family and where you're from, you're going to get mad and hit back. And that's, to me, like, what this seems to be. Again, I really want to know the details, but that's where my mind goes uh, first and foremost. But I do agree with you about Stu, like... Somebody needs to keep it real with him and be like, yo, man, I know you're not like this, but like, this is the thought for you. And like, if you do want to go that route, like it's going to give you trouble. You're going to lose a lot of money this way. Uh, I really would like somebody like she or somebody like that to talk to him because they can say from a different perspective of, you know, the NBA really is going to blackball you and like commissioner and the front office people and NBA executives, it doesn't matter even if they're isolated incidents, they're so concerned about their image and blah, 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 even though they, you know, don't have any problems with human rights violations in China, but you know, God forbid you punch somebody in the face on an NBA game. So that that's the other part of it is just like, you do have to recognize like you're hurting the NBA brand and they're not going to take that sitting down and they're going to hurt your paycheck and they're going to hurt your livelihood if that does happen. So that's, again, it sucks, but that is the part that he does have to consider more. But at the end of the day, again, to me, again, I'm ghetto. I understand if somebody makes you mad, that's going to happen. But like you're saying, I don't understand why the cops had to get involved. It doesn't look like he was assaulted. I, I just, it's just a weird situation. Like, I don't understand it. Yeah, now I'm really looking forward to details coming out because it's, it it doesn't add up. Like, at first, I was, like, very upset and disappointed with Stu. But then when I saw Eubanks actually playing in the game and I looked at his face, and there's nothing wrong with his face. Then I'm like, wait a minute. I'm Now I'm just really confused because that, I mean, even for him, like, if in the end, you're trying to make something stick with him assaulting you. You would have sat out the game because you just got like struck in the face. But telling me, you know, three hours later, you're able to play in a professional basketball game with no facial protection and you're fine. Like, and you're tweeting out like it was a soft punch or whatever. Like, I, it's just bizarre. So I look forward to the details coming out because it doesn't add up. Yeah. And if Stu did like really just, Batman jump out of the ceiling and punch him, you know, we'll obviously say like, oh, we were wrong, our bad, we're not going to have Stu's back anymore. But if Eubanks does turn out to be embellishing things, I hope he never lifts this down. Like, don't give that guy a technical foul. He might put you in federal prison. Like, come on, man. It's ridiculous. So the other things we're going to talk about with the State of the Pistons franchise are about Monty Williams. I want to talk a little bit about Troy Weaver and then we're going to end it's really my lead rant of being I'm, I've had it with people that are overly positive with this eight win team but I do want to start off with some fan you know tweets that we give the fan barometer the fan temperature every single time so let's start there because a lot of these tweets here do line up with what we're about to say here number one from Robert James at confusion underscore rain that's at confusion underscore R-E-I-G-N, that kind of rain. It's times like this where Monty's refusal to run any kind of offense comes back to haunt the Pistons. They're down 22, and they're just not running plays to speak of. This was about a day ago when they were playing the Suns. Mob at Mob Hoop says, Monty realizes you don't have to run a 12-man rotation, right? A wizard, a true Asar at Tom underscore not Tom. That's at T-H-O-M underscore N-O-T underscore T-O-M says you have to fire Monty. That's going to be our first point here on the the Pistons franchise here. Don at M-I-T-X-H-E-L capital I says we can question ownership. We can question the front office. We can question coaching. When can we? Question the guys on the floor responsible for turning this thing around, to which Lee.jpg at Lee since 95 quote tweeted and replied, when your coach clears the bench like you're down 20 and you've been battling the whole quarter, you're likely going to get disheartened and sloppy. I'm not sure how people watch the core battle and question if they can play, LOL. This team needs new leadership. Amari Sankofa, shout out Amari Sankofa. 
of the Pistons Pulse and Detroit Free Press, who is the beat writer for Detroit Free Press for the Pistons. <laughs> even, even he had a chime in last night on the Suns. Pistons went all bench with KD still on the floor. In unrelated news, Suns are on a 11-2 run. Pistons are down nine. So, yeah, it's it's getting to that point to where even Amari has to chime in. Ivy for sixth man of the year at ECYRBMZ says, when is questioning Cade such a hot take? Why is questioning Cade such a hot take for some? To which Don at M-I-T-X-H-E-L capital I says, when the team is this bad, no one should be immune to questioning. From the ownership down to the jersey they wear. And then, again, last one is just uh, to point back to the Piston Power article from Aaron that says, okay, here we go. I'm sure some of you will hate me for this, and that's okay. Sorry in advance for the semantics lecture. But I take exception to some of the rhetoric I've seen around Isaiah Stewart. But mostly this is just me going off on Monty. Enjoy. So we are going to start off with Monty. And I believe it was Tom, not Tom. Yeah, Wizard, a true star. Say the Pistons is terrible. I don't think it's ever been lower. Eight wins. It's February 15th, 2024. They haven't reached double-digit wins. It's the all-star break. You got to fire Monty. There's so many bad decisions. The 12-man rotations. After we've consistently said the 11 on rotations are bad, the last two games, Monty's gone like 12 and 13. Sasser still gets pushed down the lineup. Like, Muscala got some time and started shooting threes, and then he got down to like eight minutes there. We thought we were over the Jaden Ivey getting pushed to the side, and then in this last minute against the Suns, he played 14 minutes. Like, nothing about this makes sense from the refusal to play the young guys to the Killian Hayes love that ultimately got him released to Bojan and Burks just jacking up shots but not being accountable on defense to my continual frustration with Jalen Duran, who by the way still isn't averaging one block per game who since his return from injury is barely averaging half a block per game all of it all of it all of it all of it I haven't seen a coach this stupid in a very long time Last coach I can think of that actively sabotaged their team by their decisions to just do it their way is Rick Pitino when he coached the Celtics of bringing all these Kentucky players, trading away Chauncey Billups after like 20 or 30 games. Like Monty's done things like that. Again, a lot of things I just laid out, playing Killian, not wanting to roll with the young guys, having to stick to this 11 or more men rotation where all the bench lineups, like none of it, none of it makes sense. Everything has just made this team the worst version of itself. And the vast majority, if I had to put a percentage of it, it's probably somewhere like 80% of it all has to do with Monty Williams' decisions. You got to fire him. There's nothing he has done that's shown he wants to turn it around, that he's capable of making adjustments, or that he's really committed to the young guys on this team. So I... I think it was the last podcast I said I was going to give Monty a clean slate because he's got new players to trade. You know, he's his Killian's not here anymore. Monty's going to like, I think I even tweeted, all right, he's done tanking because they changed the starting lineup. And then he decided to play like every possible player that he could. Um, yeah, I mean, that clean slate is already over. Like he blew it. I mean, we had the Pistons won two games when they only had like 10 or 11 players on the roster. So Monty played a nine-man rotation. That's when we beat Sacramento, and then we beat Portland. It's like they did better when they just said, Monty, you can't play anyone else except for these guys. These are the only guys you can play. And even these guys that he's playing, it makes no sense to play them because we're not going to re-sign them, except for like Troy Brown Jr., maybe Shake because of his cheap contract for next season with the team option, which I agree. I don't think we need him either. I'm just saying, but that's like the only possibilities we'd look at. You're Why are you playing Wiseman? Are we going to re-sign him? I hope not. Why are we playing Fournier? Are we going to re-sign him? We can't. It's $20 million. You can't keep that team option. Like, it makes zero sense for what he's doing. But if you look at what he's done all season, 
it fits with what he's done the entire year. And it's not going to change. This is who he is. This is how he coaches. This is how he prefers to do things. So if it's a smart organization, we will fire him and move on instead of doing it two years from now when he's accomplished nothing. Yeah. I think you're, you brought it up just now. And like before we started recording, you brought it up with me on like, why are we playing these guys if we're not going to re-sign him? And that made me think, what's been the thing that this front office and the, everybody from the coach, the GM to the owner has been saying, like, we made all these moves for this reason. And that's cap space. Everybody keeps saying we're getting cap space so we can sign some guys that make a big difference. Fournier, Shake Milton. That's what, 19 million for Fournier. Shake is another five. So that's like 24 million. Just those two guys alone. Like, are you really going to play these guys so you can eat up 24 million? I thought your whole deal was cap space. That's a whole big chunk of cap space. And then James Wiseman is making 12 million this year in the last year of his deal. I don't know if you understand how contracts work, but he has a cap hold that's going to be worth more than 12 million. I don't know it off the top of my head. I would have to look into it, but it's probably going to be somewhere like 16, 18 million. So fantastic. Like, oh, you want to play these guys so you can figure out, oh, you want to keep them around? Well, Fournier, you would have to, you know, pick up his $19 million option. As with Shake Milton, Wiseman, you have to keep that cap hold and then renegotiate. That's like 30 plus million right there. Like, what are you doing? Like, are this again, Monty, like, just play the young guys. Like, I don't understand what's so wrong about playing Cade, Asar, Ivy, Stu when he's back, Duran, Thasser. Like, I, I don't understand. I don't get it. I, I do not get it. Again, it's just something that is inexplicable to me. And the only explanation, it's not even a logical explanation, but the only explanation is just he wants veterans. He wants to play veterans. He doesn't want to play all rookies, which again, like, why did you take this job? You clear that? That's just the thing I keep coming back to. It's like, if you didn't want to play all these guys, if that was clearly the mandate of like, I need to play veterans, I need, you know, a couple guys here who aren't like under 25 or whatever. I don't want to question his professionalism. I don't want to question his desire to be here. But that is the one thing I just can't get an answer for is like, why did you take this job if you didn't want to play all the young guys and live with the mistakes and live with the funkiness of the Asar experience, which is fun. But yeah, it's going to be up and down. And even the Wiseman one, like we, we, again, I can't just criticize Wiseman anymore. I just can't do it just because he's been set up for failure since the minute he got here. There is nothing he could have done that would have helped him out because this organization never set him up to be anything. Weaver had to go and trade for him. He had to go in front of the media and say he was our number one guy. In 2020, we really like him. Meanwhile, they threw away Sadiq Bay in the meantime. And then you bring in the Monty who just doesn't play him for a long time. And then when he does play him, it's like, oh, it's in a must-win game. Or like, oh, now you're going to go out there and play 20 minutes when I haven't, when I just DMP'd you for like five. Yeah. What is he supposed to do? There is nothing anybody can do in that situation to be a successful player. So in the last game, uh, Ivy did have foul trouble. So I, I understand that. But he played 15 minutes. And in those 15 minutes, he got 19 touches. So if he would have played the entire 30 minutes, like his usual minute range, he would have gotten 38 touches, which is basically his season average when Monty's not trying to get him the ball. That means he would have gotten the ball as much as, as many touches as Shake Milton did in that game. And it's like, this is supposed to be our number two option. This is supposed to be a building block for our team's future. And this is what you're going back to again. It makes no sense at all. Unfortunately, it was like the first week of the season that we did a podcast. And I was like, I do not like this Monty Ivy situation at all. And it's not going to change. Unfortunately, it's not. Whenever he gets other options, we're going to go back through the same drama again. I, nobody knows what it's all about, but there's a problem there. There's an issue there. And if you think Ivy is part of the future, then you 
can't keep Monty. It, it doesn't work out. Yeah, and you're the coach. If you can't coach a young player through foul trouble, you suck. Resign. Like, it's just that simple. If, if you, by this point, have not realized Ivy is going to do some stupid things that get him in foul trouble because he's being too aggressive or because he just is still learning defensive concepts at an NBA level, again, you're a sucky coach. Like, if you can't coach him through that and you've had 54 games now, like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you anymore. There are other teams that are able to do this, but apparently you're just going to revert back to, no, I'm just going to play him 14 minutes because I want to teach him a lesson. Even though in the last 20 games, this guy has averaged 18.8 points per game. I'm talking about Jaden Ivey. In the last 20 games, Jaden Ivey has averaged 18.8 points per game, 4.1 rebounds, 4.5 assists, 0.7 steals, 0.7 blocks, 45% from the entire field, 37.9% from three on 5.8 attempts per game. And then he's got on the free throw line 4.2 times per game. Unfortunately, shooting 67.5%. That is the, the one like actual criticism I have of IVC. He's just leaving too many points at the free throw line. I don't know what's going on with this free throw shot. But it, it goes back to the Duncan Smith thing we said there. We quoted like three or four episodes ago. Like, I don't understand how you could see this guy every day in practice and then when one little thing goes wrong like nope i'm gonna go to shake milton because he can fill your role just as good as you can like again you gotta fire monty this, this is ridiculous and even the the offense when they do run an offense and the plays they're running it's like he's running things for the wrong people like how many times do we see him setting up three-pointers for Jaden ivy and yes we do need to see Jaden Ivey knock down three-pointers. But why aren't we setting up those shots for Fontecchio? He's like our new Boyan. He's supposed to be getting those shots. And how many times, like, they took a timeout, and there was a graphic. I think it might have been NBA, NBA University that was pointing out how bad the Pistons are after timeouts. We take a timeout, and basically we run a play to get a star wide-open three. And it's like that, just the numbers do not support that. And unfortunately, with a star's three-point shooting next season, you can't expect it to be that much better. Like, overnight, he's not going to become a 30% three-point shooter. And in my opinion, it's like, okay, so if we run this play and a star is going to be open in the corner, how is he going to eat up that space and attack it? And who's going to relocate for a three? Or who's going to cut? Or what is the action we're running off of that? Because we can consistently get that. So your play has to come off of that instead of just saying, nope, Asar, shoot that three, and that's what we're going to do. It, what he's doing makes no sense at all. You know who can shoot that three is Jaden Ivey. If you extend his games out to the last 27, so since December 21st, 2023, Ivey shot 40.3% from three on 5.3 attempts per game. Why that's not being utilized, why that's not being thrown to in crunch time, whether it's off the dribble or whether it's in catch-and-shoot situations, I have no idea. Again, this is why Monty has to be fired, because the more you dive into data like this that shows, like, oh, he's actually becoming a really good three-point shooter, or like, oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't give it to the guy shooting 19%. It's basic stuff, too. It's not like we have to dive into synergy and watch a ton of plays. It's basic things. I, like, Monty can't even get down to basic stuff. You got to fire him. I just don't see how this turns around. Part of this is, to me, like I talked about last time, the old school coaches, those guys don't change, man. Those guys do not change. Once they've been in the league for a long time, they've had success. They're going to stick to their plan. Monty Williams would be an absolute anomaly, like a one of one. If somehow he woke up after the All-Star break, if somehow he even went through a whole offseason was like, I'm going to run all this different stuff. I'm going to change my whole philosophy. I'm going to design all this stuff for Jay Ivey. That doesn't happen. You can't bet on that. And like I've said before, I think when you look at the other rebuilding teams that are already ahead of where the Pistons are, like a Utah, like in Oklahoma City, it's because they have coaches that embrace modern concepts that like to run funky things, that try things out even if it blows up in their face. Monty's just not a forward-thinking coach like that. And again, he's just not going to make adjustments. If it did have to boil down to one thing, it's just that from Phoenix to here, 
He does not make adjustments. And the reason why you have eight wins, I think it mainly has to do with that. Another coach would have said, you know what? This didn't work. Or like, you know what? I'm not going to roll with this guy anymore because he's really hurting the team. But nope, Monty had to stick with him. He couldn't make adjustments. It had to take a trade to get guys away for him to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't play Killian. Or, oh, I'm not going to go to Bojan and Burks anymore. Like, again, it can't just boil down to one thing, but I do think that's the biggest thing to point to is just he's not going to change, man. And if so, you would have to assume the players we brought in through the trades, Monty was consulted with. Like, you'd have to assume that he knows this is who's coming in on the trades. And you'd have to assume there would be some kind of plan as to how these players fit in now. Or maybe they say, you know what? These players don't fit in now. It's not for now. It's for next season and flexibility. What? Anyhow, however you want to figure it out. You'd think there would be a plan in place instead of Monty basically saying, no, I got to give everybody a chance. Everyone's got to play. Basically, we got to do a whole new training camp and we got to figure out what we have here. Like that tells me there was no plans for who was brought in. There's no plans on what's happening going forward. There's no plan, period. Like, that's what it sounds like, because they should have an idea on these are the guys we're building around for next year. We want to see how these couple of guys might fit. Maybe they don't. And this is what we'll do going forward. We don't get any of that. Instead, it's like, well, we got to play everybody and see what sticks. Yeah. Uh, gee, I wonder who is in charge of putting all that stuff together. Oh, that's Troy Weaver. You know what? You ought to fire him, too. Me, there's been enough evidence now i mean there's obviously the amount of evidence for everybody on this team to be fired but even for the people that are still holding on saying you know you can't blame troy weaver maybe he was handcuffed from other things his very first draft i think the 2020 draft is really the thing that you should look back on and by now realize you know what another big reason why this piston team is in the hole they're in is because troy weaver had a terrible 2020 nba draft or at least handled it really, really in the worst possible way since then. Number seven overall pick, of course, was Killian Hayes. That's the one that I'm like, I can't really go back and like knock it, but it doesn't help that Devin Vassell was taken at 11. Again, Tyrese Halliburton taken at 12. Cole Anthony taken at 15. There were other point guards there. Again, it would have taken a, a huge amount of stones to take Tyrese Halliburton, and nobody believed in Tyrese Halliburton. I want to say it was, um, I forget his name, but he's one of the jazz like beat reporters. And he was saying he wanted the, the Warriors to take Halliburton like during that draft cycle. But he's like, no, nah, I, I can't. I can't do it. it. It's too high for him. Boy, imagine if that actually happened instead. So killing Hayes. That's who Troy Weaver decided to take. I think Devin Vassell was probably the right pick, though, if I'm being honest. That was who I kind of argued for at the end. I remember Steve from Detroit Bad Boys, the editor at the time, talked about Cole Anthony. We all clowned him like, ah, you're an idiot because Cole had a terrible season. But again, he would have been a better pick than, than, than Killian Hayes. So, again, that one, though, I'm like, I, I, you can't criticize it. Obviously, it was a bad pick. But in the moment, at the time, I get it. Young kid, point guard developing, you're starting to rebuild. Like, okay, we'll, we'll give him a pass there, even if it didn't work out. Like, okay. Well, he did trade for two more picks in that draft, which, again, by itself, being able to get three picks in your first draft, great, fantastic way to set up the rebuild where you came into it with no assets. You were able to flip around like Bruce Brown, Luke Kennard, all these things to get three picks to start your rebuild. That by itself, good. What he did with it, though, again, first pick, killing Hayes, didn't work out. Next pick he got was the 16th pick from Portland, and he picked Isaiah Stewart. He got the 19th pick, and he got Sadiq Bey. Well, in between Stu and Bey, uh, Poku, Alexej Pokashevsky went 17, and Josh Green went 18. Like, that one you can be like, okay, Stu, that, that worked out good. It seems like he's still developing. It seems like he's still... A rotation piece somewhere between like seventh to fifth guy in the rotation, like his three point shots coming around. Like, okay, cool. He got a, a piece there that worked. Well, not only did he get rid of Sadiq Bey, which again 
is like, okay, you wasted this 2020 draft. Then we're looking at this now. Killian had to be released. And Sadiq, you traded away for Wiseman, who is getting so many DMPs. So you only have one guy out of the three. That's obviously not good either. But you know who went after Sadiq Bey? And do you have any idea what the rest of this 2020 draft looked like from pick 20 all the way down to pick 30? I don't know, but I think Desmond Bain is in there somewhere, isn't he? So pick 20 was Precious, Precious Achua. Pick 21 was Tyrese Maxey. Pick 22 was Zeke Naji. 23 was Leandro Balmero. 24 was RJ Hampton. 25 was Emmanuel Quickly. 26 was Peyton Pritchard. 27 was Udoka Azubuke. 28 was Jaden McDaniels. 29 was Malachi Flanay. We got the 29th guy finally. And then number 30 was Desmond Bain. You got three picks. Three picks. Again, the Killian one, I'll give a pass because obviously at the time, the young point guard, everybody believed in the upside. Okay, well, you didn't want to go out on the Halliburton limb. You didn't want to go out on the Cole Anthony limb. I get it. Those were super risky picks at the time. But then at 16 and 19, I mean, you passed up like a Josh Green. It's been a repeated pattern. We've said for such a long time with the Pistons that the small forward position is overlooked. I was really high on Sadiq Bey, but Sadiq Bey is a much lesser athlete than a Josh Green. I know Josh Green's not like the most productive guy, but he plays defense. He shoots threes. It's something that this team absolutely 100% needed. And then Tyrese Maxey was hanging out there, man, but you had to go and get Killing Hayes, so you didn't want to probably go in to get Tyrese Maxey there. That one hurts. Again, Emmanuel Clickley was out there at 25. He went a couple picks after your last guy in Sadiq there at 19. Again, you believed in Killing Hayes, so that's another guy you just passed up. But the two that really hurt are Jaden McDaniels and Desmond Bain. I do think in hindsight, Jaden McDaniels is one where it's like, this is somebody you should have rolled the dice on. They're a big forward. He was profiled as a shot creator back then. I remember coming out of high school, people gave him the KD comp, which I always thought was ridiculous. But he was that size. He's like KD size. He did create a lot for himself. He could shoot at all three levels. Nobody knew he would turn into like this all-world defender now. But for a rebuilding team that needed shot creators, for a team that's desperately in need of a wing, why you wouldn't take the 6'9 guy that, okay, he's not going to be KD, but if he's like half a KD, yeah, great. That one really hurts. And then the Desmond Bainmont, obviously, also, it's just like, you needed shooting, man. You had to go get Sadiq instead, which, again, at the time, like, okay, sure. But three picks, three picks you had, and you just wasted all three of them. I, I, I love Stu. But keeping it real, like there are going to be a lot of people out there that are like, no, that's a wasted pick, too, because even in there, like there are all these other guys at the back half of round one that could have turned into something, but you didn't do anything with it. And now we're here at eight wins. Two of those guys are no longer on the team. One, because you just had to flat out cut the other one, because you stupidly had to go get your number one guy in the same 2020 draft. And then the other guy is unfortunately, again, here in this altercation here in Phoenix. And then the other guy that ended up picking in that draft, do you remember who the second round pick was? He's part of the core four. David Lee? Yeah, what did he do against the Pistons just last night? What did he drop, like 14 or something like that? I think he dunked that Muscala. I saw that one. <laughs> Great. That's why Troy Weaver has to get fired. There are many, many decisions like that starting at the beginning of his tenure that led to this. And we're supposed to be rebuilding again. There's probably going to be a a podcast in our near future where I am going to start cussing and be uncontrollable. It's not going to be tonight, though. But the whole like, oh, it's a restoration. It's not a rebuild. No, you've restored nothing. You've destroyed things. This is not a restoration. This is a demolition. Like you even had to demolish your own 2020 draft. There's nothing left but stew. What have you built? And in the free agent classes, like I, I've pondered like going through the free agent classes too, but it just, it, it's more depressing. Jeremy Grant, you let go for a bag of chips that ultimately ended up being Jalen Dern. We'll see how that pans out. And then 
Miles Plumley ended up going somewhere, or Mason Plumley, Miles Mason. I could never keep them straight. Whichever Plumley we had went somewhere else. Kelly Olenek ended up being, you know, thrown away for the Bojan thing. And then all the vets that you brought in, you've just cycled in and out to where they eventually led to being traded for lesser talent as well. I mean, Grimes is really the only guy here that has any semblance of hope that, you know what, Bojan and Burks are worth it to get another wing shooter who's a really good defender that is seemingly a good supplementary player to Caden Ivy. That's where all this has led to with trading all these veterans. Is Boy, I hope Quentin Grimes is really good. And boy, I hope Simon Fontecchio is worth two young guys and another really good second round pick. Like that's where you've all led to. I don't understand how anybody can look at, at what Troy Weaver's done and be like, no, I'll give him one more chance. Like, why, why does he need another chance when he squandered his first draft class? It's down to one guy. And then he's just squandered these free agents that just keep cycling into trades. That's led into two guys we hope can be good. And oh, by the way, Quint Grimes, he's not even playing right now because he's out with a knee injury. Because, you know, if there's one injury, you're not going to worry about it. It's a knee injury. Those always work out great. Weaver's got to go too, man. So the thing that you didn't mention in that first draft, which unfortunately we do have to mention, is he traded away assets to get Stu and to get Bay in order to get those picks. So it's like we traded things away to get the picks and we missed out on those guys. And I understand the logic. Some people say that it's like, oh, we can't have too many young guys because like I wasn't someone who wanted a draft and stash with uh, Gabriel Pachita, but I wanted Jaden Hardy. And it's like, you know what? Jaden Hardy's proved himself in NBA games. I mean, he hasn't done, you know, anything incredible, but he's an NBA player with a future. But it's like, he's like, no, we couldn't do that because we just took Ivy. We can't have too many young guys doing the same thing. Smart franchises like the Memphis Grizzlies get multiple young guys at the same position because they know they're all, most of them are not going to pan out. But what will happen is the ones that do, now you've made a, a big addition to your roster. Because if you think about the Memphis Grizzlies tonight, they played against the Milwaukee Bucks, and they won 113-110. to John Morant isn't playing. Desmond Bain isn't playing. Jaron Jackson Jr. isn't playing. You know who did play? Gigi Jackson. He put up 27 points. We could have drafted him in a position of need, the wing position. We traded up to get Sasser. And this isn't a knock against Sasser. This is just a knock against our decision-making. I mean, had- that's a, the one, too, that a, a lot of people were out on GG, but there are a lot within the draft community that were like, yo, man, you need to take a chance on this guy. Specifically, if you're a team that doesn't have much of a direction and really talent deficient, like he's going to work out. And I've said it all offseason. Once I heard from Rafael Warlow that Gigi's circle, his entourage was his trainer his dad and his agent. That was it. That tells you like the young man is focused on his business, man. <laughs> this, yeah. Like you said, the decision-making um, and I do want to shout out NBA university, NBA university. They're backing up what you have to say. They said not a lost season for Memphis solved their wing issues. 23 year old Vince Williams as mean defensively as Dylan Brooks, but with more length and less awful hero ball. Yeah. Vince Williams, super underrated guy, man. And then 19-year-old Gigi Jackson, power wing with self-creation that every team dreams about. Plus, one high lotto pick. Future is bright. It's the anti-Pistons here, man. Yeah, and so and Vince Williams Jr. was the one I was going to mention next because tonight he put up 18 points with 12 rebounds. He's a great defender. They got him with like the 47th pick, I think. And it's like, and that's where, like, again, I'm happy we got Fontecchia. That's fine. But the problem is, we gave up the 31st or 32nd pick in the draft in order to get him. You know, it's the 31st. Come on. Yeah. And the thing is, that's true. And you know, the the thing is, it's like, couldn't we have negotiated a different second round pick? It had to be the very best second round pick. Like we have to lose like every single margin. We can't win any of them. And like we said about guys not fitting on the roster and playing time and all that, if you look at who who Memphis is playing and what they're doing, they are playing for next season. They are making choices to build assets, to build young players, 
to do what they can so when they have their 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 regular players back next year, they have something to add to them. That's not what we're doing. Instead, we're trying to see how many minutes can we play Evan Fournier because I think he let us in minutes in the last game. It it makes no sense. Is that true that Evan Fournier led the Pistons in minutes last night in Phoenix? That can't be true. Let me look it up. I'm pretty sure he was the minutes leader. No, I think gosh. he had like 26. I think I'm going to be sick. Oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Memphis is a great example. Again, I don't know who made that argument. Or you can have too many young guys. That's like the stupidest argument I've ever heard. Memphis's rotation, the minutes leaders, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain, Vince Williams Jr., David Roddy, Santi Aldama, John Conkar, Zaire Williams, Bismack Biombo, Xavier Tillman Sr., Luke Kennard, Jacob Gilliard, Marcus Smart, Gigi Jackson, Derek Rose, John Morant. You know how many of those guys are under 25? Or 25 or under? Darren Jackson's 24, Desmond Baines 25, Ben Williams 23, David Roddy's 22, Santi Aldama's 23, Zaire's 22, Xavier Tillman Sr.'s 25. Gilliard's 25, Gigi's 19, and then Ja is 24. Like, that's how you do it, man. That's how you do it. And a smart team like Memphis, those guys, especially the guys towards the top this year that are playing minutes, like even the Jaron Jackson Jr., he was labeled the safe, safest pick in that draft because they're like, you know what? He's going to shoot threes. He's going to protect the rim, and we do not care that he needs to do anything else because if he maximizes those skill sets, that's a skill set that every last single team in the NBA needs. And, hey, what do you know? He did that. Desmond Bain, again, was a role player. Nobody expected him to turn into the on-ball creator that he is. Vince Williams Jr., again, a 3-and-D guy. David Roddy, a, a three-point like shot creator. Santi Aldama, a stretch big. Conkar, we laid out before. This guy that could rebound, got better as a shooter. Zaire, they took a really big chance on, but still rounding his way out. Six-foot-nine wing. Xavier Tillman, just a glass eater. Gilliard, score first point guard. Gigi, you know, NBA University just laid it out. Again, they identify guys that have role player skills, and they're just like, just do that. But apparently this Piston team can't even do that. And they identified one guy like that with Sasser. They identified one guy that could fit into these roles that we're saying here. He's an undersized shooting guard that you can just say, hey, let's run you off screens fire away, play point of attack defense, but apparently they can't even do that right. Yeah, so in the last game, Asar played 29 minutes, and then Fournier was tied for second with eight with 26 minutes. But again, it doesn't make sense. And like you said, for Sasser's role, point of attack defense, shoot the ball. You're a great shooter. I think he's the Pistons. I mean, he's had a cold stretch for the last two games, but I think he's the Pistons' best three-point shooter we have right now. and we're going to make him a point guard. That's just what they decided they're going to do. And again, it's like, it, it doesn't make sense. And I know people are like, well, cause I'm one of them. We can stagger Kate and Ivy so that they're one of them is always on the floor. We can use Sasser to space it. But if you have a coach who always plays an all bench lineup, that will never happen. Yeah. And the other team to think about in terms of like, you know, you can't play too many young guys is Orlando. Paulo's 21, Franz is 22, Jalen Suggs is 22, Cole Anthony is 23, Mo Wagner is even 26, Anthony Black is 20, Gogo Batatze is 24, Wendell Carter Jr. is 24. That's their top eight guys right there. Nobody there over the age of 26 and only one guy over the age of 24. That's how you build a team, man. You find guys with complementary skill sets. You find the two guys. If you're really lucky, you find the three guys that are shot creators that are your hubs with Orlando has with Paulo and Franz. And then you run everything through them and you get everybody to fall in line to supplement them and to compliment them because that is what's happened. They took a Wendell Carter Jr. because they thought maybe he could be something else. But now they're like, nope, man, we just need you to bust threes, play tough defense. Don't get in the way of Franz and Paulo. Jalen Suggs, Jalen Suggs, they lucked into it at five because they thought, you know, that the Raptors were going to take him. But then he came in here. A lot of people thought Jalen Suggs was going to be one of the top guys from that draft. But they found out, you know what, this guy can really play defense. we got to work on his shot. And then they told him that, like, yo, man, you got to be a Marcus Smart type now. And you know what? 
He fell in line with that. And that happened. Cole Anthony has become a bench guy, six man of the year candidate for the foreseeable future. He started zero games, zero games because he fell in line with, okay, I am going to be that bench scorer. I am going to work on my off ball stuff as well as be the, the on ball creator there. And Anthony Black, Anthony Black is not prepared for a full time NBA gig, but you know what? He's active. He can play defense like nobody's business. He is a fantastic passer. His shooting was looking like it was not going to work. But you know what? They have found a role for Anthony Black at 20 years old. And somehow he's shooting 36.9% from three, being the sixth man here in Orlando. Again, I, I just can't stress it enough. This is why Weaver has to go. Look at all these other teams that figure out a way to fit all this together. Even for a Memphis, when their season is completely derailed, they lose their star player. They still find a way to turn this into a positive, and they still find a way to make this a benefit for them. Monty has not been able to do that. He's not embraced that. And Troy Weaver has done nothing but the antithesis of that, whether it's cycling out veterans or whether it is drafting guys that he ends up just cutting or trading away for players that the coach doesn't even want to play. And if you look at other franchises, like I like to look at the Utah Jazz. I think Danny Ainge does a lot of smart things. And when you look at that franchise, they traded away uh, Fontecchio. They traded away Kelly Olenek. They are not operating under a timeline of we have to make the play in this year or we have to keep our lottery pick this year. They're like, you know what? These are the guys we're moving. We're going to get more assets. If the young players we have are good enough to make the play in, great, we make the play in. If they're not, we keep our pick, great. That works out too. But there's not like this timeline of we have to do this right now. And if you think about the Pistons, we're on the same timeline, except Weaver is fighting for his job. So he's going to make decisions based on keeping his job, not based on what is best for this team. Because if we were making decisions on what is best for this team, we'd look at the young guys, we'd supplement them, and then we'd make the necessary adjustments next year to get better. But instead, we're looking at trading or making a free agency splash to try and make some jump in wins, even though we don't have the pieces around it to actually support it which will not work out in the end. Everything that's going to happen is so someone can save their job instead of doing what is going to be the best move for this organization to take a step forward in the right direction. Yeah. And I've had it with people that are trying to find the positive spin with this, this is our final segment here. Like I'm just done, man. I don't like to tell people like how to be a fan or like what they can and can't do. But I really do think like, you're part of the enabling problem of why the Tom Gores goes up and like, you know, I feel pretty great about this. Or Troy Weaver's still selling the like, we got cap space. We're going to make a difference. Well, you know what the difference makers are? You know who the difference makers are? I implore you go to spotrack.com slash NBA slash free agents 2024. This is all types of free agents. We got LeBron. We got Paul George. We got Clay Thompson. We got Tobias Harris. James Harden, Pascal Siakam, Drew Holiday, Gordon Hayward, DeMar DeRozan, Buddy Heald, Mike Conley, Bruce Brown, Lonzo Ball, Evan Fournier, OG Ananobi, D'Angelo Russell, Gary Trent Jr., Markel Fultz, Marcus Morris Sr., Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Jonas Valanciunas, Malik Beasley, Tyus Jones, Luke Kennard. Then it starts to drop off in like Doug McDermott, Dick Gary Harris. Any of those guys coming to the Pistons? No, but supposedly by us on... Buying out Gallinari, we have goodwill with free agents that we're going to do players right, so more players are going to like the Pistons. I mean, that's the logic we use in, in our decisions. But no, that's not happening. None of those guys are coming. Yeah, what is this positive spin? And trades, like, okay, great. What do we have to trade? Like, what do we have to trade? If you're out there really here going to sell us on like, no, they're going to trade for their next star, say goodbye to Jaden Ivey. Say goodbye to Jalen Duran. Say goodbye to Kate Cunningham. Say goodbye to Asar. Say goodbye to Marcus Sasser. And say goodbye to at least one first-round pick, if not two first-round picks. Like you really want that future? Because that's what it's going to take in order to get a difference maker. I've really wanted Laurie Markinen on this team, but we all know Danny Ainge. 
he's going to have a high asking price and it's going to cost something like at least a Jaden Ivey two first round picks, which is stupid. That's just throwing everything away. Laurie Markkinen is a great player. I'm sure he would fit with everybody, but that kills your future. And that caps out the team for whatever else you have here. Plus throwing a max contract at somebody like Tobias Harris. I really, that's, that's the future. That's what you're positive for is, is eight wins. No, heaven help us get to 10 wins for this whole stupid stinking season. And then you throw away a draft pick, you throw away a couple draft picks to get two useful players when you have to pay a whole lot of money too. And if it is somebody like a Lori market, and guess what? You got to pay him the next off season too. And he might just walk out the door because his team sucks already. Anyway, I, I don't want to be here just to say like, oh, don't celebrate the team or don't be positive. But I really do think that the fan base has to send a message to ownership to be like eight wins, man. Like, what were you selling us? What were you selling us? A restoration. This is going to be a restoration. The Pistons are going to look like the Pistons of old. Yeah, they look like the Pistons of old. They look like the Dick Vitale Pistons of old. Like, that's what you brought us to. And stop going to games. Like, stop sugarcoating or stop saying, like, they're going to turn it around. It's got to take major changes. Like, it's got to be a clean sweep. The coach has to change. The front office has to change. Everything has to change. If you have, like, it doesn't take, uh, this is why it's so frustrating. It doesn't take a mastermind of basketball to understand I drafted Cade, I drafted Ivy, I drafted Asar, I drafted Duran. Those guys need shooters. Like it's number one step is that simple. Everybody around them should be a shooter. And yet somehow this team doesn't do things like that. Somehow this team doesn't look at this free agency class that gets smaller and smaller with fewer names in there that would fit or want to come to Detroit. They look at all of this and they do something else. They look at all of this and they keep saying, no, it's going to get better, but it only gets worse. And just statistically, an outstanding season next year. And I mean, outstanding. Everything goes right would be like a 20 win jump. So let's say we win 15 games this year, which is optimistic. 15 wins this game, add 20. Like everything goes perfect next year. You get up to like 35 wins. If in order to get to those 35 wins, you had to give up some of the young core and you had to give up some draft picks. What the hell are you going to do next to then try and get to the play in and then try and move it up into the playoffs? Like you've already started trading things way too soon. It doesn't make sense. And the problem is people are trying to sell you on the fact that well, it's not really an eight-win team. They're really, they're, they're bet. No, you're an eight-win team. That's what you are. By the end of the season, maybe we get to like 15 wins or whatever we get to. Stack on 20 on top of that number. Best case scenario for next season. Best case. And it's like, if you had to trade away part of your future to get there, then we get into that spot of being like an eight seed or a 10 seed for year after year after year of what we didn't want to avoid and why we took four years to get here, that's what's going to happen. And that's why change needs to be made so that the people making the decisions aren't making the decision to keep their job. They're making the decision because it's the best decision. Yeah, and shout out to uh, King I tr at Trademark Taz. He and I went back and forth on uh, thinking about it because he brought up this in a tweet. The box went from... 15 wins in 2013 to being a playoff team in 2014 when Jason Kidd took over. <laughs> Thinking face emoji. But it's going to be tough for the Pistons to come back from being abysmal. Hashtag Detroit basketball. So I did look into that situation and going from 15 wins to 41. I, 41, I believe, was the next one. Yeah, 15 wins in 2013-2014 to 41 wins. Breaking even that next season. So my response to... Mr. King, I was so all it takes is firing the head coach, which is what the Bucks did. Having two of your returning players begin their ascension to all NBA talents. Had Giannis, rookie Giannis on that 15 win team. They also had Chris Middleton, who they just signed. So they started ascending and getting better that next year. And have four really good shooters because that next year in that 41 
and 41 season. They had, let's see, I know they had four guys. They had OJ Mayo, who took 277 threes, 35.7%. Chris Middleton, 40% on 268 threes. Brandon Knight was 40.9% on 254 threes. Jared Dudley was 38.5% on 192 threes. And then Irsan Ilyasova was 38.9% on 193s. Like that's a basic blueprint right there. But it does start with firing the head coach. When you're that sucky, when you're that devoid of talent, like, yeah, you got to turn it around. And you know what? I think all those guys I just laid out, OJ Mayo, Chris Middleton, Brandon Knight, Jared Dudley, Ilyasova, I'm pretty sure they were all on that 15-win buck team too. As well. So when it's us, what do you know? The players stay the same, but the coach changes and they become a better team. Funny how that works. But I do think the big crux of the box part of the improvement there is that again, Giannis became Giannis there. You can say Japari Parker, but Japari Parker was kind of hurt for most of that year. I think he only played some like 23 games or something like that. If I remember correctly, let me take a look here. This 2013-2014 Gotham Jabari was the story for Jabari season. Yeah, 25 games there. So, I mean, he kind of contributed, but very, very little. It just proves the point again. Like, you know what? If you're this bad and then you change the coach, Maybe the players aren't so bad when they actually run things that are good for them or run more creative stuff. I guess my final thought is just it's obvious the coach and the players are not a fit. We saw that at the start of the season with Jaden Ivey. Throughout the season, nothing has really changed. And in the NBA, you don't pick the coach, you pick the players. Because in the end, they're the ones who make the biggest difference. You change the coach because you spent four years getting Cade, Ivy, Duran, and Asar. You are not going to throw them away to keep Monty Williams. That would be absurd. But that's something this franchise would probably do. Yeah, and the Bucks example is a good one because if you do want to buy into Cade and Jaden and Duran and the SAR and all these guys, then look, they could be the, the Giannis. They could be the Chris Middleton ascending players that help to make that big improvement. I'm not going to say any of them will get to a Giannis level because Giannis is probably like top 10, top five player of all time. But you can argue again that they're going to get to that ascending level. And there's evidence, especially for Caden Ivy, that they're going to be really good offensive creators and that they can play off each other and create a more fun and dynamic offense. So it's a good argument, but it does require sweeping changes and for things not to just remain the way that they are. Because the way that they are, we're veering towards the, like, is this team worse than the Charlotte Bobcats? What do they win? Like six games or whatever in that shortened season? Yeah, and I mean, even like I posted about the, the Charlotte Hornets after the trade deadline, I think they won like three straight games. and. But it, their coach, Steve Clifford, who I'm not a huge you know, Steve Clifford fan, but he's using the new players they got in the roles they're supposed to be doing, and he's getting results. And since the trade deadline, that is not what Monty Williams is doing. He's instead, he's playing everybody. He's playing 13 players and trying to figure out, hmm, it's kind of like how he went into the season where he had no idea that Jaden Ivey was actually better than Killian Hayes. And he had to wait 50 games before he's like, oh, wait a minute. I think I made a mistake here. Like, come on. Like, this is just absurd. Yeah. Um, Sweeping changes has got to happen because the state of the franchise right now for the Pistons is just the bottom of the barrel. That may be historically the worst team ever. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. Please, the cherry on top of the dog turd Sunday would be if Quentin Grimes' knee injury is worse than we think. But please, please, please praying that is not the case. Because then if we want to see him out there, I think he would make a big difference just because he already knows what his role is. Again, look at his three-point attempt rate. He barely takes two pointers. He knows I gotta play D and I gotta just chuck up threes. That seems like the perfect player that could like at least give you an idea of the Cade and Ivy offense, who 
even if the coach isn't running great things or running plays at all, this guy already knows what to do. So I'm looking forward to seeing Grimes play. The problem is start looking at how the rotation works and look at Monty's track record this season. And it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a big mess because then you can look at Sasser disappearing or Ivy disappearing or it, it's just, oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I have nothing left to say on so you mean all those pictures of Grimes and Sasser together at Houston are going to be for nothing? We're not going to see that here in Detroit? Oh, we'll, we'll get to see that. But it's going to probably cost you a lot of Ivy minutes. Probably going to cost you some of Star minutes. And yeah, it's going to have a price. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and then when Stu comes back to I mean, you're making too much sense here. What do you mean? we got to play Fournier to see if we're going to pick up his option, too, in the meantime, right? Ay, ay, ay. Well, I guess I don't know how to end it now because it's not it's not all rainbows and butterflies in Detroit Pistons land. Andy Larry, everybody know where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. Got 28 games left. How many of these 28 games are we going to win? But not even just the wins. How many are we just going to be happy with how they performed? And not even how they perform, but happy that the coach let the players who need to be playing actually got to play in a role that would allow them to succeed. That's that's all we want to see. Yeah, and I tweeted it out a couple games ago when Kate and Ivy played a lot of minutes and played well. I think it was in the Portland game where it's like, we wouldn't be mad if that was how it was all season. If you just played the young guys. If it looked fun, even though they were losing, you got an idea of what it could be like. And again, that was fun. They just got out and ran and tried to make things happen. Like nobody would be mad. It's such a simple ask, but apparently it's too much. Please, please, please pray for sweeping changes in the Pistons because nothing's changing right now. So we will catch you next time. We're going to.